Last week we began looking at what would be a short series considering the idea of we love our city. And I gave you the explanation last week, but just to kind of rehearse that, that uh, these have been on our, on our shirts that we've been encouraging people to wear for quite some time. And uh, it's time now that we consider how are we going to live this? What is this going to look like in, in our hearts and in our church? And so today we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And as we do, we are going to consider a little bit further definition of why we love our city. Why we love our city or which part? Which part of the city do we love? Uh, We have to begin asking which part because our hearts are prone to only pick the things that benefit us. We have to ask the question of which part of the city are we going to choose to love because we as human beings are prone to love the things that benefit us. And so today as we consider this passage, I pray that this question is flipped on its head. Matter of fact, in in, uh, last week's uh, small group time here at the church um, on Sunday evening, Uh, We we had spent our time talking about why we love our city. And the next question that they ask is, well, who is our neighbor? You know, we said we we, we we, we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, who is our neighbor? You know what? We're not the first people to ask that question. We see here that this lawyer in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, is going to have to ask that question. But Jesus is going to encourage him to ask a different question. So the main idea for today is don't ask, who is my neighbor? Ask, who am I neighboring? Don't ask, who is my neighbor? Ask, who am I neighboring? I don't know how many of you watch, you're not going to confess to it if you do. I don't know how many of you watch the judge shows, right? The Judge Judys and, 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 and all those various shows. Uh, in part, people watch them because it's almost comical, right? The things that people try to, it's like watching... A, 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 a first grader tried to explain why their sin was okay, right? That's why we watch those shows, is because it makes absolutely no sense. Or if you watch the cop shows or the, the lawyer shows on TV, it's funny how few actually try to uh, deny that they did what they did, right? Have you ever noticed that? Most of them, they'll off the bat, they're confessing that what is being accused is what actually happened. But what they try to do in those shows is they try to justify their actions. They try to justify trashing their roommate's apartment because he didn't share a snicker. You know, they try to justify it by making it seem like there's some reason that their, their, their animal-like behavior was excusable, right? They, they try to justify those things. They're, they're trying to excuse their wrong behavior because something greater compelled them. Now, that's what's laughable, right? It's the things that compel them are not oftentimes compelling. We are just like them. We try to find the loophole, right? We try to find the, you know, we're, we're no different. You can judge your children all day. We're no different than the kids, right? They try to find the loophole in mom and dad's rule. 
They, they, they try to find, we, we try to find the loophole in, in the rules above us, right? If I ask you, is, is speeding against the law? Most of you would say yes, as long as it's over five miles an hour, right? You, you try to find that loophole that there's like this five mile an hour window of excusable or justifiable speeding, right? We, we try to find loopholes in everything. That, that's, that's how we are. And so when we ask the question or when we say the statement, we love our city, immediately we try to find the loophole of which part, because surely you don't mean the whole part. Surely you don't mean you love every part of this city. Surely you don't mean that you love the, the, the houses that are falling down around us. Surely you don't mean the, the, that you love the, uh, the drug problem that is rampant throughout this county. Surely you don't mean that you love those things. See, we're not the first to do that. The lawyer here has the same question. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I normally put it on the screen, but it's quite long. It'd take like 12, I tried, 12 screens. So it, it, we couldn't do that. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look in the Pew Bible on page 76 in the pew in front of you. But consider with me Luke's words, Christ's words to us through the author of Luke today. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, that is Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? Have you not read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, that is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took up took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, in today's passage, a different question is sparking the conversation. And a group of in-questions intended to put Jesus to the test, we come upon this man that sees Christ, and, and he, he's going to test him himself. And so we have this, this lawyer that, that comes to him, and, and Luke in, introduces that and says, And behold, this is just Luke, he's, just, he's in amazement, and behold what Jesus is doing here. And a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly to this lawyer after he gives his answer. But when we look at this verse, we notice 
that the lawyer's heart is revealed. I want to say at the outset, we looked last week at, at Mark, and we kind of alluded to Matthew. And Matthew and Mark have a similar account, right? We looked at it last week. I don't think this is the same account. I think this is another time in the city of Jerusalem that Jesus is being asked or put to the test again. And the reason I say that is it's too different. It's too different. The characters are too different. The, the, the situation is too different. And, and Luke reveals a great deal about this story. And, and the other reason I think that is this was a common question. It was often asked, this was one of the questions that would often be asked by Jews of that day of, well, what's the greatest commandment? Trying to figure out, how do I summarize this? Okay, it's too much to remember everything, so how do I summarize this? It's a common theme. And this common theme would have been noted, and this answer would have been a fairly common answer. Maybe he heard Jesus say it elsewhere, but he was wanting to put Jesus to the test. Unlike the the scribe we looked at last week that saw some wisdom in Jesus, this man is, he's putting him to a test. Now, when somebody puts another person to a test, what does that say about the person? Now, if, if, we've got some teachers in the room, so I'll ask you this. How many of you test your children? Hopefully, all of them, right? That's what teachers do, right? They, they test kids. Why do they test kids? Well, they want to see where they're at. They want to see they retain the knowledge. But they have the right to test the children. Why? Because they have authority over these children, right? They know something that they want to impart to the children, so they have this authority or this knowledge over the kids. Now, if I ask you, parents in the room, which of you, your kids test you? Most of you would say, well, my kids test me all the time, right? But if I said your children are testing you, you're not, you're not saying that in a good way, are you? You're not saying, yeah, my children test me. They ask me what one plus one is. No, that's not how we normally use that, right? We say they're testing us in the fact that they're trying to exert some kind of authority over us, and that, that frustrates us, right? We have this lawyer that comes to Jesus to put him to the test, to put him to the test, to exert the fact that he knows more than Jesus, to put his place above Jesus. He's trying to exercise authority over Jesus in this, in this situation, He thinks that he can trap Jesus because he might know more than Jesus does. Jesus, in his wisdom, doesn't exert back his own authority, does he? He doesn't snap back at him and say, how dare you test me? That's what we all want to do, right? Those who are underneath us, we want to snap back and, how dare you test me? What Jesus says, well, you know the law. You're a lawyer. Why are you asking me? You already know an answer. What is the answer? And so the scribe, he, he tells this, and I'm not going to detail what it means because we looked at that last week, but he tells them to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, in these stinging words, says, you've answered well, now do it. You've answered well, now do it. And that's what we looked at last week. But my fear is is that when we look at that, many of us then turn and do exactly what this lawyer does. Many of us then turn and do exactly what he does and that we, we begin to justify ourselves. 
How often have you come to the scriptures seeking to test them? Do they really have answers to everything I need? Seeking to exert authority over them and say, this is what I think it means, not this is what the text means. This is what the text tells me I have to do. This is what the text exerts authority over me to do. The lawyer here, he wanted to test what Jesus' words were. Why would he... So, so we move to this examination by this lawyer. Why would this lawyer want to justify himself? When you and I hear Jesus' words, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus agrees with him, right? So what? he's the one that answered. So why does he want to justify himself? Because he knows he can't measure up. He knows he can't measure up to this law. He knows that if Jesus really means love my neighbor, he knows that he can't do that. Because we, we have a hard enough time doing that, right? We have a hard enough time loving our neighbors who are difficult. How can this, this man love his neighbor? This man was going off of Jewish tradition, which said, yeah, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love those who are Jews. That's the Jewish tradition, not God's word. Love those who are Jews, hate those who are not. So he's trying to justify and say, well, surely he just means people like me. Love people like me. So he's going to justify and say, well, now clarify what you mean by neighbor. Who is it that I must love? He's looking for the minimum requirement. Like a high school kid that's trying to pass with a C, he just wants to know what he has to do to get by. Right? That, that's what he's doing. What, what is the minimum I have to do to be called believer? What's the minimum I have to do to be called Christian? What, what's the minimum requirement? When God's law doesn't ask for the minimum, it asks for the maximum. What else can I do for God? He has given his life for me. He has sent his son to die on the cross for me. What else can I do for him? This Jew is asking, what do I have to do? That may be the temptation of many of us in our own hearts. Questioning, what do we have to do? So when we look at a passage like this, we have to say, well, who are the neighbors I have to love? And who are the neighbors I don't? Which part of the city do I have to love? And which part of the city am I okay with not loving? And the problem is, is we've become comfortable with those two caveats. We've become comfortable with there being parts that we can love and parts that we can't. If I ask you if you love your friends, what would your reply be? Come on, you're all falling asleep on me. Yes, right? We all love our friends, right? That's common sense. If you don't love your friend, you're obviously not a very good friend, right? That, that's just common sense. Now, if I ask most of you, do you love your enemies? Mm, we should say yes, but it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to say we love our enemies. It's uncomfortable to say we love those that aren't like us. But Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Catch that. So that 
you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For our Father, for He makes the sun rise on evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Lord, please, send some more rain. For, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are hard words from Jesus. Those are hard words. If, if we say we love those who love us, that's great. So can every other lost person in this city. So can every other person around us that doesn't know Jesus. They can say they love those who love them. Now, if we say that we love those who persecute us, those who are enemies, that's a different story. That takes a special kind of grace in our heart that can only be shed by Christ that we looked at last week. So as we look at this and we see the justification, I have to ask you, are you challenged by this? Because if you're not challenged by the command to love everyone, to love every part, then you've already justified yourself in your own mind. If you're looking for the minimum, instead of asking what else can we do, then we have already justified ourselves in our own mind. This is what the lawyer was trying to do in examining Christ. So he asks this question, and Jesus replies with a testimony. Jesus replies with a testimony. In response to this question, Jesus tells a story of a man stripped and beaten by robbers and in need of help. But who would be his neighbors? In, in, in verses 29 through 35, we see, or 30, sorry, through 35, we see, I'll just read it again. Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. We see these three, char- three main characters here, right? We see the fallen. We see the man that has fallen to robbers. And I want to note, it doesn't say much about him, does it? Does Jesus in this story tell you what kind of man this was? Who's to say he wasn't one of the robbers? We don't know, do we? We, we don't know who he is. We, we don't know what kind of life he lived. We don't know what he looked like. We don't, know. we don't know if he fit in with, with the Jews or with the Samaritans. We don't know who he is. He doesn't tell us. Why doesn't he tell us? Because he doesn't care. It doesn't matter who this man was. What matters is who is going to respond to his need. The key 
part of understanding this fallen man is understanding his need. It doesn't matter if he deserved help. Just as we are not told about his deserving nature as a man, so we should not be concerned about the deserving nature of those around us. If deservedness was the cause for love, then you and I would have never experienced it. If deservedness, if if our deserving of love was the cause for love, then you and I would have never experienced it. For Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not Not the godly, not the deserving. He died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not care about the deservedness of those around us when he gives us the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. He cares about the neediness of those around us. There's a need. As we look around our community, what are the needs that you see that need to be addressed? As we look around and we see the hurt and the pain, what are the needs that need to be addressed? As we look around and see homes falling apart, we have a huge percentage of single-parent homes trying to make it, trying to raise children. We have tons of families that are being broken by, by sin. We have, we have a community that is wrought with addictions. We have, we have all kinds of needs right here. He says, are you noticing them in this parable? It's testimony saying, look at this. Does our city need love? Yes. So then he examines the people that are passing by. Two of those people are religious leaders. To put it in terms for today, this would be the pastor and deacons walking by. Okay? That's, that's who this, put this in perspective. You've got this pastor and deacons walking by this man who needs help. And what do they do? going to go near him. I might catch something. I, I, might, I might get hurt myself. They don't want to be near him, right? They, they're, they're afraid they might somehow fall into his plight. Now, many people have tried to excuse these religious leaders that maybe they were going to Jerusalem. Maybe they were going to Jerusalem, and by law, if they touched this man, they couldn't serve in the temple. If they touched this man who was half dead, he might have been dead and thereby he was unclean. They couldn't have touched him. Otherwise, they couldn't have served in the temple. So they try to justify it. I say that's a really poor excuse, a really poor justification. Um, Even if that's where they were going, Jesus says you follow the little parts of the law, but you neglect the weightier matters. But if you listen to his story carefully, um, this is important geographical information for the Bible. Jerusalem was on a hill. It was up, right? You typically go up if you're going up a hill, right? Is everybody with me? Makes sense, right? Even, even a bunch of hillbillies, we can understand that, right? 
We, we can understand going up a hill means that I'm going, I, if the city's up there, that's where I'm going. But notice what it says here. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. He, he was going down and actually... Death is the literal word. It's just, I'm not trying to make more. He was going away from the city. That means, that means this priest and this Levite, they were coming out of church. They were coming away from the temple. They were coming away from sacrificing and their, and their songs at the temple. They were coming away from seeing God's glory. They were coming away from truth. It would be like us walking out of church having heard this and seeing a hurt and broken man sitting at the stoplight and ignoring him to walk by. That's what these people do. They, they walk away from him. They walk on the other side of the road to make sure that they don't come close, that they don't touch him. This would have been stinging for this lawyer who knows what these kind of people are. But then Jesus puts a twist to the story. He says, but a Samaritan. And you all are like, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal with that? that? That's like arch enemy, you know? If, if um, uh, I don't know how to compare this unless I go to superheroes or Star Wars. So, so, but, but it, 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 it's, it's like the arch nemesis, right? Okay, it's like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And Darth Vader walks by and sees this man in need and stops. Okay, that's the kind of, that's the kind of illustration that we see here. And, and that sounds funny, right? That, that, that I would say it that way. But how about I say, and a Muslim walks by. That, that, or, or if it were during Pearl Harbor, and, and a man from Japan walks by, and all of a sudden, inside all of us, prejudices start rising. That's what it would have been like for this man. For this man, as, as he heard that word Samaritan, everything inside of him would have cringed. It, it would have churned. That this he would have said something maybe similar to this. That half-breed Jew, he, there would be anything good in him? That he would do something that would honor God? Is that possible? But this is the man who Jesus chooses to help. This is the man who Jesus chooses to make the hero of the story. And as this man passes by, we need to note something very particular about this. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Too many of us believers lack compassion for those around us. If we are ever to make a change, we must understand the brokenness of those around us. We understand the gore and the, and the grotesqueness of the sin that has entrenched those around us. He has compassion. And what, is this, what does this Samaritan do? Not only is he moved inside, right? Not only is he feeling the weight in his stomach. What does he do? He does something about it. 
right? He sacrifices money, time, comfort. He throws the man on his own donkey to go down the hill. He, he, he pours his own wine and oil on him to help him, something that would have been costly, that may have caused him the ability to have something to drink. He, he out of his own pocket, pays for this man to be cared for. He sacrifices something for him. True love doesn't merely express itself in sympathy or compassionate feelings. Genuine love is illustrated well by this Samaritan as costly. That's, that's what we see here. That's what we see in this, this Samaritan. That's how we see him caring for. So, so we have this testimony put before us, and as we examine it, we have to ask ourselves, who in our minds have we written off as beyond the gospel? Is it by social class, by nationality, by past experiences? Who is it that we have said, yeah, we can share the gospel, but they're never going to hear it? Who is it that we have said, you know, they don't even want the gospel? Who are we withholding love from because we don't think they would love Christ? Maybe it's because of the way they've treated us or someone we know. Maybe it's because of the way they look or the way you assume they're going to respond. This parable confronts all of those notions by showing us how the most unlikely can be the most helpful, the most God-glorifying. Now Jesus cross-examines himself. He's let this man speak long enough, right? So now he cross-examines himself. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, what did he ask? What, what, did, what did this lawyer ask Jesus? Who is my neighbor? Jesus says, which one was a neighbor? Jesus wasn't concerned with who is my neighbor. He was concerned with who is neighboring. Who is acting like a neighbor? Christ redefines the question by asking him this this heart-wrenching question of who is doing the work of neighboring? Our neighbor is not defined by race or by social class or by lifestyle or by looks. It's defined by those who love God and love each other. The lawyer answers him. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even bear to say the word Samaritan. He can't even bear to say this man's name. Even as he knows it's right, he's so entrenched with his own prejudices, he can't even bear to say the man's name. He's a Samaritan. It pained the lawyer that an outcast might prove to be a neighbor honoring to God more so than someone who has gone to church their whole life. That, that an outcast might prove to be the one that inherits eternal life more than the one that has tithed his spices. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even bear to say his name. One author says, The lawyer has seen the point 
but has yet to break through his prejudice. So Jesus calls him to respond. You go and do likewise. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Go and do likewise. Simple answer. We understand it. It's illustrated for us, right? We all like illustrations. We, you know, we like the picture Bibles, right? Makes it easy to understand. Go and do it. We don't see this man doing that. We don't see him doing that. We don't hear any more about this man going and starting some ministry of caring for neighbors and Samaritans. He, he in his hardness of heart, would not, would not do it. Jesus doesn't call the lawyer to cross borders, to go across seas, to go to the nations and spread the gospel. He calls the man to serve the person he sees broken along the way, to go serve him wherever he's at. One pastor has said this, the world would be a changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows that are plain before him. The world would be a changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows, to the brokenness, to the struggling that is right in front of his face. They don't have to go looking for it. It's all around us. So when you hear God's word, are you still holding on to your obedience because of preferences or personal pet peeves? Is there a personal code of conduct that prevents you from obedience to God? Is there something that you see in others that you just can't get over? Is there something in your heart that prevents you from loving the way God would have us to love? Who are you neighboring? Who are you neighboring? I challenge you this week. When you leave this place, as you come out of God's temple, and you walk down the road to look to those to your right and left and see the neediness around you, acknowledge it and love them. Love them. Now, that's love's going to look different, and we're going to look at that over the next two weeks. We're going to ask the question, how do I love my neighbor? How do I do that? It's going to look different depending on where we're at. But regardless of how it looks different, we've got to start doing it. And somebody may say, well, I'm not sure how to do that. I don't know how I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Just try. It's normally easier than you might think. You know, just to give you a couple examples, when you look out your window and you see a neighbor's cow has got out, go and help them. Is that really that difficult? When, when, you, when you go to the grocery store and you see someone can't quite spend the money to afford the groceries, help them buy the rest. When, when, you, when you take your kids to school and you see that these kids don't have clothes to wear, go and give some clothes. Now, these are easy things. Now, let's take it up a step further. When you go and you see broken families, say, I'm not sure I know all the details, but I know that God's word says it is sufficient for all of, God's, uh, all of life and godliness. And so let me walk through with God's word with you that we might save and preserve your family. 
That's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take guts. It's going to take willingness to be rejected. But we have the testimony of a Samaritan who was willing to be inflicted himself in order to express the love of Christ. Who will you neighbor? Bow with me in prayer.